Good afternoon, everyone. This is Pam Montgomery. I'm, I'm your host today for the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries Teleseminar. And today we have the wonderful pleasure of speaking with Kathleen Meyer uh, about the United Plant Savers Golden Seal Botanical Sanctuary. Kathleen, I've known Kathleen for many years, so I'm so, so excited that she could be with us today. She's been practicing herbalism for over 20 years and is the director of the Sacred Plant Traditions in Charlottesville, Virginia. She runs a clinical and community herbalist training program there, and actually this clinic was one of the first on the East Coast, and it's still going strong. So she's uh, doing some good work down there in Virginia. She's also a board member of the Common Ground Healing Arts, which is a collective of practitioners that offer their services in Charlottesville on a donation basis. And Kathleen has been studying plants for such a long time. She was in the Peace Corps in Chile, and then she did her physician's assistant training as well and weaving in medicine in, in that whole program and traditional herbalism medicine and energetic systems. She's also done work in San Salvador Island in the Bahamas and wrote a book about the bush medicine there. Also, Kathleen is on the board of directors of United Plant Savers, and I believe you're about to be the president of the board, too. Is that, isn't that right, Kathleen? That's correct. That's correct. So would you uh, be so generous and so kind to, to share some of your kind of inside stories and inside information and, and kind of new stuff that's going on with United Plant Savers that's, that's coming forward? I mean, I was on the board many, many years ago, and um, boy, what a long way. What, 20 years now or something like that? I mean, it's a long time. I think so. So, I believe so, so. please, please, um, we are so excited to have you share with us your um your ex your experiences so thank you well, thank for you. being with us thank you, and as you're introducing me you know i'm winding back down that beautiful road of our past of where we first met and just so incredibly grateful uh, for our friendship and the work that you do and especially with one here so yeah thank you for that beautiful introduction and i am thrilled to talk about sanctuaries uh, because i really as you all are doing your work with spirit and healing uh, we're really coming to see the the power and just the necessity really of moving into a, a whole other language a whole other way of being and a a way of really moving us through some of these incredible challenges we have and, you know, shifting to a whole other level. And for me, and I'm sure so many people listening, you know, just the very word sanctuary, um, just taking that in and thinking about it, you, you drop down out of your mind and you drop into a, a deeper place into your body and, now with the whole notion of sanctuary city, I, I think it's magnificent that, you know, we can claim ourselves, we're a sanctuary, and what does that mean, and, you know, the safety of it, and the holiness of it, and and sort of a neutrality in some ways, and um, so what the botanical sanctuary is, a little background on the United Plant Savers is 20 years ago, our uh, beloved, dear teacher, colleague, friend, girlfriend, um, wise woman, Rosemary Gladstar in her great vision, 
realized, oh, isn't this fabulous? Uh, her California School of Verbal Studies and then all of her conferences, you know, the word is out. These plants are amazing allies and healers. And now we really have to look to replanting and where are they going to come from? And I believe, Pam, you were on one of the original boards of UPS, but um, really beginning that the foundation right. uh, there. Yeah, that's right. I was I was one of the the first. Like I can remember back at a Green Nations gathering, like it seems like just a zillion years ago, that we sat around after the conference and and kind of dreamed the whole thing up and started talking about it and how could we put it together. So, yeah. So it's it's been a long it's been a long time coming and it's still going strong. So that's great. Yeah, without a doubt. And so what United Plant Savers is, um, it's an organization to, um, its mission is to educate um, the United States and consumers of plant medicine and practitioners and industry and all different levels about the nature of our native plant medicine and their status. Um, they developed an, what's called an at-risk tool. And this has recently been kind of pulled out of the closet, so to speak, and dusted off and really honed this tool magnificently because United Plant Savers is actually the only conservation organization in the United States that's protecting native medicine. And so Susan Leopold, our new executive director, has been absolutely astounding in bringing us to the table of major, major conversations. We are now with the International Union of, of the Concern of Nature. They are the ones that produce the red list. The red list is the very famous list of extinct or endangered plants. Uh, we're about to reveal another American plant to be on that list. She brings academicians, the whole ginseng, regulatory, USDA, fish and wildlife. I mean, she is really engaging many places that UPS was unable to, you know, for different reasons and funding, but we're really um, doing OSHA research, just, just really gathering data. But what this at-risk tool is, is how do you know something's endangered? How do you know, you know, as Pam and I were talking um, a couple weeks ago, you know, blue cohosh is so incredibly abundant. It's a medicine used by midwives and for reproductive health. Um, it's so abundant in her mountains in Vermont and as far as the eye can see. And so when people live in areas like that, it's, well, well what's the big deal and why is this endangered and what's happening? And, and so it's a coalition. It's really understanding what the sanctuary work is, is bringing to the fore the fact that now plant medicine is a $93 billion industry and where is the sacred? Where is that sense of really what that sanctuary medicine is and what's happening? And so the over-harvesting um, is a huge issue. And, you know, Pam has taught, Pam has written books about really understanding the intelligence and that aspect of the plant that goes into the medicine, that spirit, and so even if you go to Whole Foods and you buy capsules and, you know, these are good companies, these are ethical companies, these are our friends who have these companies. And, 
you know, I don't know how many of them are really gathering that sacred, but there used to be a lot more because they were smaller companies. Well, now what we're realizing is the way the plants are even taken out of the ground um, is disrupting the sanctuary of place. And what I mean by that is so many of these medicines, you know, like on Pam's Mountain, they grow in magical places, spirit-filled places. You know, they need certain mycorrhiza, they need certain mushroom, they need certain nutrients. And what these places collectively do is they also create a whole other realm and environment that invites other beings into the woods. And so these hollers and these creek beds and all these places where people have traditionally been gathering ginseng and whatnot, this is sanctuary too. You know, these hollers, they're they're sanctuary. And whether humans are there or not, you know, so many other beings need refuge. So one of the kind of latest mind-blowing escapades Susan took me on was this digger, and a digger is a woman or a man, who, you know, goes and digs these medicinal plants and um, had called us up and a friend of hers had just found out she's been digging for 15 years and she's been digging this incredibly gorgeous orchid called false unicorn root that no herbalist has used in many, many years. And she just found out it was endangered and it absolutely broke her heart and she called UPS to find out what do I do. And so we went down to see her and she's, you know, she said, diggers are poor. We don't have our land, but this is our realm. This is what we know. And I won't get into the greater politics, but I do want to say for listeners who are, you know, consuming herbal medicine, you know, these diggers are paid like 60 cents a pound for 120 fresh trillium roots and these trilliums are endangered and they have no idea she could have been digging dandelions so what we're realizing is it's not the digger it's not the poacher it's higher up and it's it's you know many levels of really understanding how do we reclaim the sacredness of plant medicine and so with United Plant Savers, we're really working with her. We're getting her to conferences. We're really beginning to understand the complexity of it. But, you know, it's not herbalists who we need to be preaching to. It's sort of the industry. But at the sanctuary that um, is absolutely stunning, it's in Ohio. It's in Rutland, Ohio, and that's about 30 minutes south of Athens. And what's astonishing is, I I can say this, I was born in Ohio, I'm a Buckeye, so it's like, Ohio, wow, huh, what happens in Ohio? (laughs) It's, you know, it's kind of on your way to Chicago if you're driving, Um, but what's so fascinating is it's a tropical temperate forest, and so the rainfall in southeastern Ohio, and, you know, it's so funny how we put state lines. It's like West Virginia, Virginia. It's just magnificent um, mountains and soil and the Appalachia, the oldest mountains on the planet. So in this zone at the sanctuary, there is so much rainfall that you go into these woods and they are these giant 
gigantic golden seal plants and ginseng plants and you know wild geranium and jacob's ladder and on and on for all the natives all the spring ephemerals which are so important for pollination and so there's 300 acres and it was rosemary's relationship with paul strauss who moved there in the back to the land movement of the 70s and they were farming with horse and plow and you know hippies doing their incredible medicine food um journey and he is this astounding steward there's a movie um on paul strauss that that really shows the sanctuary um you can also go to the united plant savers uh website and there's a beautiful film of paul walking through the woods but what the sanctuary has been um and now we're realizing the greater need of maintaining genetics you know, the genetic imprint and the reality of the original ginseng species. Because as we've been having a harder and harder time harvesting it, Wisconsin started growing it, but they realized that out of its own environment, they need fungicides. They're using other species. So it isn't organic, and it's by well-intentioned people wanting to kind of spare the harvest of the woodland, um, but it doesn't have the right uh, biology and the antimicrobials that a forest really provides. So it's this genetic strain that is really important. And, you know, a friend of mine, actually the husband of the woman who funded our book um, in San Salvador in the bush medicine, He's very, very active in the International Seed Saving um, Collective, and he's part of the Norwegian uh, Seed Bank. And I don't know if you've ever seen photographs, but it's just, um, it's like the Golden Compass, if you've ever read any of Philip Pullman's book, Up in the North. It's just astounding what they're doing up there, and it's a seed bank, and it isn't Monsanto. But they're saving seeds and they're safe. But, you know, the thing is, Pam, what I think is you can put a seed away today. And if you need it in 20 years, the problem is it has not been adapting to the changing climate. And so, you know, will these seed banks that are put away in refrigerators and stored, you know, is that really how we want to be protecting the flora and so I see the Botanical Sanctuary as the living seed repository where right there in Ohio, where they're fracking, you know, maybe 200 miles away, it's constantly feeling and sensing and, and knowing what changes are. And these plants, you know, the ginseng, it's Aurelia. It's the only plant that survived the ice age, you know, and we use it to adapt to stress. Let's talk about a plant experiencing stress it's like the ice age it can't run it's got to figure out what to do which is why it has such potent medicine for us it adapted so the 300 acres at this botanical sanctuary is that it's for the seeds it's for replication you can go there and you know, as far as the eye can behold, you know, there's golden seal and these incredible plants. And what we're doing this year, and it's been in the works for about five years, and, 
you know, it's a super, super small organization. I can't believe everything Susan's been doing and what you all and what we're doing now. But uh, we're finally, after 20 years, building our education welcome center. Um, so, of course, there's a fundraiser going on. And go to the UPS and check it out. And um, we're actually having an Earth Day event because, you know, a lot of times we go to events and it's classes about plants. What I wanted is I wanted to host an event where you, you are led into the woods by Paul and these amazing botany boys, but you feel them. You're just there. You're not bogged down by names. It's just feeling sanctuary. And you all know what we're talking about. This is what your work is. So, you know, it's it's a two. You know, it's a fundraiser to build this welcome center. Um, and it's an education center and an herbarium, a place of preservation and identification. And the exciting part is it's uh, dedicated to Jim and Peggy Duke, um, who are notorious in the herb world for giving their lives and um, just being so incredibly generous. And uh, Jim is our elder now, and um, we just really are very excited to honor him uh, with our center here. Um, and we just harvested the ash tree. There was an ash borer that came through and took out a third of the forest. So we went in and harvested that. And, you know, it's that beautiful cycle of, you know, harvesting the ash. And we had, um, I don't know if you remember Paul, um, I'm kind of blanking on his name, but he has a, um, uh, a woodlot there and he uh, has a mill, a small mill. So everything has been locally milled and the trees and it's going to be a, a, just a stunning, very, very simple, um, but a stunning welcome center. And, you know, the, the whole idea is to help people understand how to propagate uh, as well as how to start their own botanical sanctuary. And the Botanical Sanctuary Network is one of the main projects that we have going on, and this has been going on, I don't know if it was from the beginning, but what this is is people like you and me, I have one here in my downtown Charlottesville, Virginia backyard, uh, Pam's beautiful um, Sweetwater is a botanical sanctuary. It's the creation of sanctuaries all across the United States where we have these ephemerals, we have these plants. Um, ideally, we want to set up carters, and that would be neighboring pieces of land because the more contiguous pieces of property you have, uh, the more intact the ecosystem remains and then the pollinators really have a much greater breadth of uh, choice and the selectivity. But so the whole idea is to have these sanctuaries where the seeds, where the plants, where they are adapting and there are very few requirements. I'm on the sanctuary approval board. Um, but we ask that you um, have it as an education center. And that could be, you know, two groups a year. It can be grade school children, high school children, garden clubs, um, you know, so many nursing homes if they're ambulatory. You know, people love any reason to help to come out and look at these medicines. So we ask that the sanctuary be educational 
um, but it doesn't have to be a school or it's not intensive, um, and that you are planting. And just when we get um, the reports of what's happening across the country, I mean, it's just astounding what people are out there doing and then what people have been doing. And they find out about UPS and they apply and they say, oh, well, we've had these 100 acres and this is what we have. And they send us these photographs that are just stunning. It's really magnificent. So, you know, that's the sanctuary. And, and how do you create that in your backyard? Because these plants really hold that ability to shift, um, well, to shift the energy um, into something deeper because they have that memory um, so, you know, Kathleen, I'm just, I'm, I'm just loving the, the, what you spoke about earlier about a living seed repository. I just love that. And, you know, it just, I kind of get excited about it because, um, you know, this, the whole idea of this adaptation and everything that you're talking about. And, um, so, so, so basically what you're saying is that the sanctuary in Ohio is that you're trying to save that that really original I'm I'm I think those plants have been there for a pretty darn long time because I've been there and I've seen those hollers and there's a lot of lot of golden seal a lot of stuff going on there is yeah. that they carry a certain um, genetic makeup that that you don't get when you're um, cultivating certain plants it's not it's not the same as when you go and cultivate it in a different kind of environment is that what you're that's what you're saying exactly exactly and the whole idea of kind of going native you know native we have this incredible landscaper around here and he's young and he works only in natives and he was doing a community project in you know, my golden seal is taking over. It's taking over my front yard. It just is such an easy grower, but we're just harvesting it by the hundred tons. And there's a black market, and it's it's you know we don't even realize the tonnage that's going out of here um, for exports or even just our own consumption. So I even offered, I said, well, gosh, I have golden seal. And he said, oh, no, no, golden seal isn't native to this Piedmont area. And I was just kind of taken aback because I always thought, oh, I'm my, you know, my natives. And, and he's right. I mean, he is down to, you know, the stone and the geology and this area of Virginia. And, you know, there's such a specificity. And the whole idea of everybody starting a botanical sanctuary, they go to like the Minnesota Native Society. And, you know, there are plant geeks everywhere and when I go on native plant walks the alarm for me is we're all white-haired and we're all incredibly fit and we're hiking and we're going but the native plant societies really understand some of the deep genetics and the value of genetics and so the whole botanical sanctuary network idea is that in Minnesota or Wisconsin you go get your genotype you set it up on your land so that if for whatever reason, there was a shift in the infrastructure and you now were the source of the medicine or you now were the nursery. 
in order to start the propagation. It would be fitting and more kin to what the environment is. And so with Ohio, you're right, these ginseng have been here for a really, really long time. They've been nourished, they've been undisturbed, and you know the staff know what are happening. And what happens is um, when you become a United Plant Savers member, you get some of the golden seal and ginseng from the sanctuary if you're living on the East Coast and if you're living someplace where it will adapt. So, you know, we can't be purists anymore because that's just not the way uh, the wide world web has structured it at this point. Um, And at the same time, as plant artists and plant holders and sacred space holder, you know, it really is up to us to look, well, what is indigenous? What's indigenous to Florida? What's indigenous to Michigan? You know, what grows here? What's of the soil? What's the story? You know, what are the story plants? What are the the plants that hold the lineage? And whether we ever learn to read them, whether we ever learn to hear what they are, in some ways it doesn't matter, we're holding them in place. Mm, And they have that mythology. And that's what creates that sanctuary of you walk in and it's seamless. And we've all walked into beautiful gardens where they're all imports. And it's beautiful and it's symmetrical and it's topiary. And and there's just something that it's not sanctuary. It's beautiful and it's aesthetic and it's contemplative. But that whole notion of sanctuary has something that really goes beyond beauty. There's something else there that's creating a a sense of place, a sense of presence. So at the Ohio Sanctuary, we are seeding that because I don't know of any other organization with such a genetic seed bank as intense and as focused as UPS um, that is really holding that. So, so let me ask you this: If so, where my mountain that you referred to a couple times uh, used to used to have ginseng, and you know I've talked to some old timers. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you know, and of course it all got harvested out. Except there was a fellow here a while back who was doing his um, his master's degree, and what he did is he came and uh, he took a section. And he um, he cataloged all the plants. This was after it had been logged, <clears throat> and so that was his project to see what plants mm. return um, after logging. And he found one ginseng plant. And so my I wonder, you know, you talk about the you know the the, the landscape and all of that, and what the you know what the plants needs the 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 original plants that were here and the landscape they need and all the uh, you know the, the environment that they grow up in, and so I'm wondering if if I if I bring in ginseng from the sanctuary, you know, the the Ohio sanctuary or someplace else, and plant it near this one survivor, I'm just wonder, you know, will will all of them become native again? Will they all kind of adapt again to like, oh yeah, oh here's here's 
here's a place that we recognize, and oh, here's here's one of our our brothers or sisters over here, and 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 they've done okay for a while. May, you know, I mean, I'm just I just wonder about that kind of thing about yeah. like what's in the soil. Like it's you know, obviously, if one survived, then there's something in this soil that that ginseng goes, oh, woohoo, oh, goody, yay, this is here. So I just wonder what you think about that whole idea of of uh, how do I want to say it? Re-indigenizing, if that's a word. Um, sure, sure. Bringing plants in from the outside and yet putting them in in close proximity to like some of the survivors and and how yeah. how that might be for them and how they might adapt. I'm just curious about that. What do you think? Sure, and you know it's not like corn where you want you don't want to cross uh, pollinate. You know, you, it's not as though you're trying to keep. Um, the species pure because it's essentially, and if it's, you know, American ginseng and it's Panax kinkafolium, it's going to be the same species, the same family. Um, it's, in, you know, the same plant. So, yeah, the ginseng that you have is indicating this is a favorable location. I've survived. I'm here. And so, obviously, the only adaptation would be the temperature um, but where, you know, ginseng is found in Canada. And so your winters obviously are, are colder than in Ohio, um, but it's grown in Wisconsin. You know, it, it is definitely um, cold tolerant. So I do not think it would diminish, it would dilute, it would do anything but be great company for that one solo ginseng. I can't believe there's, you know, one up there uh, because it's not a plant that grows in bunches, but when you see one, you usually see a number of them. Uh, so that would be a hale and hearty, um, wonderful gathering if you were to to bring in, you know, some other ginsengs. And, um, you know, again, that one indicator species would say um, this would be the area to do that. And, you know, it's funny. It's like if we look at dandelion, you know, dandelion has colonized the world. Um, and it really doesn't change. The interesting thing is, you know, they're, they're, it still tastes bitter in Belize. And it still has, you know, the same seed head in Thailand. You know, it, 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 they do adapt, um, but, you know, it's not native, obviously. Um, so I think in some ways plants are strengthened when more of their numbers um, are introduced. It's, mm. it's, it's community. You know, as you know um, from all your research, uh, I mean, and not all plants love community. We, we, we've come up, like false unicorn root, it'll grow in a few, but um, sometimes it's not a plant that, that really loves that. Mints are obviously very communal. Um, so, yeah, it would, it would really serve you to, to repopulate and, you know, especially if the deer aren't getting that one, um, that's a pretty good sign that you might have a good success rate of introducing. And you just want to start small. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have blue cohosh, you know, Karen Sanders, um, who's Choctaw and a wonderful teacher of mine, you know, she said Native peoples, their families are the plants that grow together. 
And I absolutely love this because Linnaeus came in and ordered things around very differently. And he put things in families according to their flower. And, you know, it has served us. But when she's talking about what plant families, you know, blue cohosh's family is wild ginger and black cohosh. And, you know, it has its own family unto itself. So what I'd say to your listeners is, you know, if you go to someplace like the Botanical Sanctuary or you go to your woods or, you know, I know they've recently been harvested. But if you go to an old growth woods and you look around and you see what's growing together, that'll let you know what you can plant together because they all sort of require the same soil. You know, lady slipper really requires something else. Um, so it won't grow with that one plant family. But golden seal and ginseng and the cohoshes and geranium and, um, you know, and it's all growing in uh, all around my yard here, downtown Charlottesville. So, you know, and part of the reason, you know, I teach the plant classes, I say, look, you don't have to wait till you get your sacred 10 acres out on the side of a mountain or you don't have to wait till you get that pristine environment. These plants are just so incredibly generous and yeah, we nourish the soil and we're always stinging and, you know, we're all about plants here, but they had, they adapt. I mean, we have the wild ginger all around and I'm dividing it and giving it away. And, um, and that in and itself, just the presence of those plants, that also will create that sanctuary, that that whole deep feeling of sanctuary. So I'm wondering about that um, that part. I mean, you have you've done that at, at your place, and I certainly have done it here as well, and uh, many other people have. But what I find with um, people who come here and my students and all of that is. Um, it really does change them. I mean, they they come and they sit amongst these plants, or they go up in the in the woods and they sit with that that blue cohosh or wild ginger or whatever it is. And I'm telling you, they are transformed. It's like I don't need to say it. I don't have to open my mouth. All I have to do is send them out there to kind of be with the plants, and it really does transform them. And what's what's begun to happen is. Um, you know, we Mark and I have here have really opened our place up to to people to and encourage them to come here, and they really start to feel like uh, like like it's home, or it's like a how mm-hmm. should I say this? It, it touches a space inside them that that you know what Martine might say, you know, your indigenous soul, that part of yourself that never left the land, and when they, when they can be with these plants in this way and I just I just I don't know I feel like that's a part of sanctuary too it's so healing just to be with these plants I know and it you know when you have people that also live in the city and you know part of our work is you know I have the students do five plants that are growing either in their backyard in their apartment parking lot in some median strip, wherever they are, meet five plants. And some of them you won't be able to eat. But we know that dandelion will grow through the cracks of, you know, New York City. You know, the the same power, Pam. I know you've seen this. When people understand what plantain does and what dandelion does and, you know, how 
in the midst of the deepest, darkest ghetto of um, such fear, you know, the plants prevail. And how many times have our colleagues gone into Brooklyn and gone into Bushwick and gone into all kinds of places um, and really reconnecting urban dwellers with their sanctuaries? Mm-hmm. And, you know, where can you gather and, and where can you gather safely? And, you know, I have students teaching classes now where they go around and they weed the community gardens in order to make their medicine. Um, and, you know, we want these special plants and we're talking about the, the native plants, but it, it's just, uh, stunning just to see that it's all of them because dandelion is native to Europe. And when I was in Belize with Rosita, you know, the jackass bitters, you know, it's a roadside weed. But that is what kept me safe as the cholera epidemic was coming on and I'm traveling through. And it's like, wow, I need to take the bitters. I need to take this medicine every single day because it's of that land. You know, Mm -hmm. that indigenous plant that knows dailies, knows that area. Yes, I could take my homegrown golden seal. I could take my medicine. And also, I really wanted that medicine from that place um, that really carries, um, you know, something other. And I just felt, you know, I can't tell you what jackass bitters made me feel like. I was like so healthy. And I was like, yeah, this is why you take bitters all the time. Um, So there's also that part of it as well. It's like, wow. Um, you, you know how it is when, when you're traveling or hiking and you come upon a, a plant that you know, it's like, oh my God, you know, it'd be like you or me running into each other, you know, in the airport, someplace really unexpected and, and that joy and that recognition and, you know, I'd feel that safety, you know, seeing you and, you know, that's that inherent, um, nature of the plants that just makes us feel safe. Um, and that's so, why. So, so what you're saying really is that, you know, you don't. I mean, isn't it wonderful to have, you know, the Ohio Botanical Sanctuary, the United Plant Savers Botanical Sanctuary in Ohio, and have this place where all these amazing plants grow and proliferation, and and that they're, you know, the the living seed repository is 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 there and is going to be um, really maintained, and that's that's part of our heritage, and that's something that is so important for us and at the same time you know we can really have sanctuary anywhere really exactly. we you know wherever there's amazing plants there can be sanctuary <laughs> and so much of it has to do with our attitude towards them and you know going back to what you started with with this over harvest thing is like how we approach the plants in our in our work with them in our making our medicine with them and and all of that so it's so it really, it kind of comes full circle. Yeah, it does. And, you know, it's what your books are about. And it's about that relationship. You know, mm-hmm. as you've seen your students when they journey to Violet or they do a plant journey to Dandelion, they never look at those plants the same ever, ever again. And it doesn't mean that we leave them in our gardens and um, we don't, 
you know, weed them out, but we'll weed them out with a whole other relationship. Um, we'll make sure that we throw them in the salad or honor the root. Um, it really is it is that relationship. And when you sit in and do a plant journey, and for those that may not know about what a plant journey is, I'm, maybe some listeners don't, you know, it's really sitting and um, getting to know a plant on a very different level, a heart level and kind of a spirit level. And wow, it's just astounding um, the depth and breadth that these very, very common plants have, but we wouldn't know that until we took the time for that relationship. So, you know, we can walk by them. We cannot even, I mean, they're so neglected. And, I, you know, I think the definition of a weed is, you know, it's in a wasteland or it's unwanted or, um, and, it, you know, it, it's really the relationship, um, how we engage with it and what how we acknowledge. And it can be, you know, the fruits and vegetables, but, you know, as far as the herbs and the beauty of permaculture, you know, if you're familiar with that, they talk about the zones and, you know, zone one is right outside your door. And we have lavender and rosemary and we walk by and we bruise it and we smell it. And, you know, we're, we're constantly infusing ourselves in this medicine as reminders. It's, you know, Amelie, a great Iroquois medicine woman, you know, it's that olfactory sense that goes right back to the limbic. And that limbic is such a primal memory. And these plants, through their their smell and their scent, you know, they immediately take you back to a place of safety it's just so interesting how um i keep using that word but you know we're talking about sanctuary aren't we um and that's really what i feel sanctuaries are and how wonderful your work is especially for you know these days when um you know it's a it's a real privilege to feel safe um and it's just really bringing it up and it's so exciting because um, there are so many people that um, haven't been safe, and we didn't realize it. We didn't realize it, and now we're kind of all on the same playing field. I love what you're saying right now, Kathleen. This is so great because it makes me aware that the plants, which you know, the plants have been with us since day one, and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. But what they're helping us once we really get into them in a in a deep relational kind of way is that they help us create our own inner sanctuary, our own inner place of safety and sacredness. It's like the plants mm-hmm. are actually bringing us to our own inner sanctuary. I'm getting chills. <laughs> I know. I know. Then, you know, you sit with a friend and you drink a cup of tea. And now I drink tea all the time and it's nourishing. And, oh, I love holy basil. And, oh, it tastes so great. And then in clinic, how we start our day is we sit with, and they don't know what the tea is. And where does it go on your tongue? And what direction does it? And, and you sit with it. And all of a sudden, it's as though it comes into the room and you know calendula. And you never knew how warming it was. And Or elder, it's like, wow, it is moving out. This, the spirit of this plant is moving 
out and you realize, oh, it's a diaphoretic. It opens your pores. This is what it does. And so when we take the time to even just drink that cup of tea, it's, boy, someone will help me. There's a presence here. There's a, there, there's, um, there's medicine. And medicine is really part of that safety. And whether it's the scent or the taste or, you know, I just, um, I have to say last week was probably one of the hardest weeks for me. I mean, for the news and my nephews in Stockholm and all of that happened. And I thought, you know, I can't, I can't find anything right now. And I went out, I went to my nettles patch and I made some nettle soup, cream and nettle soup, and then I just felt better and better. I looked around, and I gathered the chickweed, and I put redbud flowers in, and I put violet flowers in, and I'm telling you, Pam, and I know you know, by the end of the day, I invited friends. I said, you have to come. This is our wild feast, and it was that sense of the wild. Hmm. You know, it was... Everything's so wild out there, but what's the real wild? What's, what, what is that nature? And it's, it's coming home, you know, and that's what really sanctuary is. It's like coming home to who we are. Yeah. So I want to ask you one. I'm going to go back now to, um, to this new building that's being built at the, um, at the Ohio, UPS Ohio Sanctuary. So do you have a timeline for this so like I, I mean I know how these things go it depends on how much money you raise but right. I'm serious <laughs> like you know because I, I think folks are going to be super excited by this to have a you know just a place to go to I mean I, I you know I've, like I said I've been been in the loop here for many 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 years and and we started pretty small and then put up a put up a yurt what no not a yurt what's that thing I, I guess it is called okay. a yurt no it's What's not a yurt, yurt? It's still the, the, yurt. the The original building there, what was that called? Not a yurt, but a, um, uh, anyway, the, the original building that was there at, um, at the sanctuary. And so this is like coming, this is really like moving We're forward in a up. big way. <laughs> growing <laughs> up. Oh, okay, growing up. Adapting and growing up, right? <laughs> yeah. No, um, I think this fall, I think we're going to break ground. We have, we, have, uh, we have had incredibly generous donors. We have a few that have really stepped up. And so we'll be doing matching, our capital campaign. We're reaching out to all our advisory board members, just all the, the plant lovers. Um, and this, um, the great thing about this Earth Day hike that we have our board meeting um, next week, and then it'll we'll be staying a couple of days afterwards at Earth Day, and so that's when we've opened up to the hike. And what we're asking for is two hundred dollars, and for two hundred dollars, you'll get your name on a plaque at the sanctuary for perpetuity. That is like hardly any money, and I know two hundred dollars is a lot of money, but when you really understand the depth of the work, like the only organization monitoring these native plants that's huge i mean there's yes, nothing else there's there's like yeah. tree organizations and there's polar bear organizations and there's all kinds of organizations and none for native medicinals so um we're hoping to break ground in fall um we've had some great generous donations um 
and we still have a, a you know a good long way to go but it's going to be simple it's not over the top uh, we're going to really try to use a lot of materials from the land but um, we really want it sharp we want a kitchen we want to be able to um, process and harvest and and teach uh, a lot of the local people the local community Pam you would be thrilled at how engaged they are and what a, a source um, UPS has really become um, to the local community. Um, so yeah, we are hoping and we'll know more after our board meeting in two weeks mm-hmm. um, what the date is and the timeline, but um, we want to get certain things set up and ready to go for the fall um, so that come spring, you know, it'll be possibly completed in a uh, 2018. Wow, that's that's fantastic. It's really, really exciting. Um, As well as um, kind of teaching with the landscape, having it a teaching landscape, how to use the natives, especially in our changing environment without water. Um, Mm. You know, we've had a couple of droughts around here and um, my natives have just thrived. They've done incredibly well. Um, and they're beautiful, and uh, it's just a really important part of understanding um, how we're going to move forward in landscaping and and how to work with them. So we're really wanting to have a demo garden um, all around the center. Oh, gosh, that's fantastic. Kathleen, there might be a couple questions here for you, so if you don't mind, I'm going to ask if anybody would like to ask Kathleen a question. If so, please hit star 5 so I can see your little hand raised so that I can unmute you so you can ask Kathleen a question. Let's just see if um, people can get it together to hit star five. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, hold on. Here we go. Hang on one second. Let's see. Um, Jen's got a question for you. Hi, Jen. What what would you like to ask Kathleen? Well, first I want to say thank you, Kathleen. Um, It's been an amazing talk. And what struck me was what um, Pam um, also affected Pam too was about the living botanical. That's not what you. What did you call it? The li- living botanical seed bank. Um, I think that's the repositories. Word. Yeah, the yes. seed repositories. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's really um, intriguing because there has been a lot of emphasis on, you know, with Monsanto and changing climate. Like we just need to save seeds. Need to save seeds, but. You're right. Like the situ- our growing environments will be different, so um, we need those living seeds that are constantly adapting and changing. Exactly. That's so. It's so important because our our own chemistries are changing and adapting. And um, the interesting thing is, if uh, was there a question there, Jen? Or well, no. Or keep going because I like the thread that you're going on right now. So, so what's interesting is um, in looking at. Um, what there's a plant migration happening you know plants are moving north and you know i i was saying earlier kind of joking well the ginseng couldn't move you know it's rooted into the ground but that's not true at all they're watching how all of these natives now are moving to cooler climes and so it's just so fascinating that you know, if we allow certain natural areas to stay intact, um, 
you know, it's actually habitat destruction is the greatest threat to um, our native medicinals. And then it's over harvesting. But if we leave enough wild lands, you know, the plants themselves will find where they want to thrive, how they want to thrive. And that's why, I mean, I do it on a very, very small scale, but I put golden seal everywhere on my property. I put it in the shade, in the sun, and we have to test. We have to see where are you going to grow? What do you like? I mean, I just, I hardly am on Facebook, but I just posted on Facebook because I'm so excited. You know, golden seal came up in my walnut grove in the backyard and hardly anything can grow under walnuts um, because of the chemistry of it. So we just want to grow the plants and figure out where are they going to be happy, where are they going to thrive, and how do we then gather those seeds that are adapting in real time as versus, you know, like you're saying, um, not able to change with the climate. So it's, you know, the interesting thing is it's not interesting, but we're chronicling the sixth extinction. Like this is the first time ever where we're writing about the extinction that's happening. So there's an urgency to this that people have no idea. The IUCN says 15,000 plants are on the verge of extinction, medicine plants. Black cohosh may not be available in five years with a rate of menopausal women consuming this supplement. And the urgency is we have got to stop using this plant. We've got to figure out that kudzu, which is taking over the South, which is this huge invasive, has the same phytosterols that black cohosh does, have a relationship with black cohosh, realize it's not a capsule. This is real. This is biology. This is the myth of the woods. This is the story. And yes, we've lost plants, and we've, we're feeling that texture and the fabric kind of unravel. And so the plants, as you all know, have this phenomenon of maintaining that fabric. And it's up to us to really keep them on the planet, to keep that language alive. And okay, yes, we want menopausal women off of HRT, but is black cohosh the one and only herb? Unfortunately, it's incredibly successful, but so is kudzu. Look at how it grows. It's a steroid. It's on steroids. So this is the mission. This is, you know, what UPS um, and the mission of United Plant Savers is. That's great. Hmm. So I actually do have a couple questions. Sure. Um, so you mentioned it a little bit, I think maybe actually with the black cohosh earlier, but do you have like a, a line or something to say to people um, who say, you know, these ex well endangered plants are abundant in my area, so, you know, why shouldn't I be harvesting them? Well, because they are sitting on a treasure. They are sitting on a very healthy, intact community of an endangered plant. And so they could become a seed repository. They could become a source. They might um, look to, well, how might I be able to be a nursery? 
you know, if I have more blue cohosh than ever, maybe I can go in and thin or understand how to work with this, and maybe I can harvest plants in order to sell them so that people can grow them in their woods. Um, but the whole point, and, and I totally hear you, and I, I mean, I have friends, uh, my best friends, or, you know, I have friends that are talking about wild yam. Why do they keep talking about wild yam, and I want to use it? But the thing is, people don't understand the global market. They don't understand that, yes, it's there now, but they might be looking at such a rare and magnificent stand that that in itself is a treasure. That's the sanctuary to preserve. Um, so it's education. You know, that's such a great question, Jen. It's such a great question. It's trying to get, you know, the word out and um, educate all of us about uh, what we have in our woods and the value. Thank you. Yeah, mine's Pink Lady Slipper. It's mine. <sighs> She's one of my loves, and I just saw her for the first time last year since I was in fifth grade. I mean, I've been looking, oh. looking and I, I had to go away to finally see her. But I have friends in New England who are like, oh, she just grows everywhere. I don't understand why people say she's endangered. <laughs> like, yeah. I live where she was native, and she's just not here anymore. Right, um, right. And so they are, they're holding sanctuaries. Right. You know, they, they're the stewards. You know, they have a responsibility. And, yeah, maybe in 300 years we can come back and use um, Lady Slipper. Uh, you know, maybe, and there, Lady Slipper, fortunately, is one that mo the word's pretty much out, um, and right. there's a, there's a real consciousness about using Lady Slipper, um, and you know what a powerful, powerful medicine. You know, I have epilepsy near and dear in my family, and Lady Slipper is an incredible medicine for that, um, but. You know, there's there's others as well, and um, it, that's the, the sadness of losing what these plants can do. And same thing with like Indian pipe, or um, but yeah, to, to to allow people to know that you know, just you saying, Lady Slipper, I was like, oh my gosh, don't tell people your address. Exactly. <laughs> Because people also pick it up just for the beauty, <laughs> you know, like, right, it's amazing how know, many people, it's not even for medicine, it's just like, oh, this is a nice plant. I know, and you know, the hard thing with Lady Slipper, though, is when you see one plant, all those plants are sort of one. Right. And there is a very special fungus that grows on the mycorrhiza of the roots, which is why it's near impossible to transplant or propagate. Right. So it's it's that whole intact system. Because we've gone on plant rescues um, to go and get the lady slipper before the development comes in. And I have maybe had one success story out of about 12 plant rescues of lady slipper. They're very, very hard to propagate. And, you know, Karen said, because actually it's so funny, we're talking about Lady Slipper, I was on my way to a plant rescue, and it was Mother's Day last year, and she called, and um, 
And I said, oh, I can't believe you're calling now. And it was a rural area, and I was in and out of phone, you know, coverage. And she said, oh, you know, when you're getting lady slipper, you've got to go get soil far away because for us, lady slipper is medicine of the ancestors. And so it's that's why you can't transplant it. So go away, go like 20 feet away, even where they're not growing, and go gather soil from all around it because it reaches so far away. And I thought that was so interesting. So I have one more question, if that's okay, Pam. Sure. One more. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering if somebody, you know, is just learning about United Plant Savers or the thought of um, creating a botanical sanctuary or, you know, needing to rescue plants, is there like one or two or maybe even three things that you would say these are great ways to start? Well, you know, I think they've really done a beautiful job on their website, and um, there's a tremendous amount of information. Uh, their journals are, are – She's Susan has really brought the journals up to such an academic yet user-friendly, great um, caliber of writing. Uh, so I think I would start there. And, you know, people still love, uh, Pam, the book that was edited so many years ago, Planting the Future. And Planting the Future is all about this topic, and it's somewhat dated, but it takes um, all the plants on the at-risk list and how to grow them. Um, so it's Planting the Future, and it was edited. It was Pam and a number of herbalists who wrote a chapter for each plant. Um, but I can't remember the name of the woman who edited it. Do you, Pam? Uh, Pamela Hirsch. Yeah. Pam Hirsch. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's a great book um, about what we're talking about. And so, Kathleen, can you uh, give everybody the website so people can go to the website? Sure. It's unitedplantsavers.org. Okay. Okay, great. And, and then the uh, and then the sanctuary website is um it's actually goldensealsanctuary.org, correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. But Good. if you go to the United Plant Savers, it'll lead you there um oh. to the botanical sanctuary. To the okay, Golden great. Seal Botanical Sanctuary. Great. Well, Kathleen, thank you so 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 much for sharing all this today with us. It's always fun to to talk with you and and um you know we always we always end up getting inspired by each other so i really appreciate that and i'm so happy to see that united plant savers is still going strong and really good work yeah. still coming out of it it's just it's just great so i just want to thank you for being with us today and then i want to thank all the listeners for uh sharing in this call in this teleseminar with us and just to let you all know that there, um, there. This this teleseminar is recorded, so you can go on our website, which is www.natureevolutionaries.com, to um, to to listen to the to the recording of this teleseminar again, as well as all the previous teleseminars that we have done over the over the time. And uh, we really invite you to to check out our website and to. Uh, check out our new video calling, called Being a Nature Evolutionary, which is also on our website. And please, when you go to the website, please sign up for our newsletter so that you can receive those. And 
There's also a lovely donate button on our website, which we're always happy to, to help get help and support from all of you who enjoy these teleseminars. And we're just um, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for the ability to do this. Our next teleseminar will be May 21st, and that one is called Designing a Kitchen Sanctuary Garden with Ellen Ogden, who's the author of The Complete Kitchen Garden. So be sure to tune in for that one as well. So thank you all for joining us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Pam. Okay. Thank you, Kathleen. Thanks, Jen. Okay. Bye. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.